When you think of great duos, who do you think of? Jordan and Pippen or LeBron and Dwayne Wade. I mean, I talk about basketball a lot here on this podcast, but for the Barcelona version, there's PK and Puyol or PK and Mascherano or the easy example of Xavi and Iniesta. And as you can hear from my voice, the perfect teammates aren't just professional athletes. It's cold season. I guess the flu and cold medicine, perfect teammates as well. But in this case, when it comes to growing your business, that's you and Shopify. Shopify is a global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. To be honest, I've been doing this show long enough. And as I mentioned, it's cold and flu season. You hear it in my voice, especially during the holiday season. So whenever it comes to this business, anything that I can set up and kind of have working in the background that I know and can trust is just plugging along without my attention. Those are the things that I really value at this point. So when my brain is foggy, all I can do is manage to turn on the microphone, talk to the guest, or just talk to myself and get out a piece of content. Everything else, having that all automated or working in the background, that's been important to keeping me sane. And that's the thing about something like Shopify. What I do love about Shopify is how no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. So no matter how big or small, how good of a month or how bad of a month, things are just the same working in the background. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is a global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs on every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tbpod, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash tbpod now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash tbpod. Welcome to episode 370 of the Barcelona Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Dave Hilton, and he's Emil Evanesian. How's it going, Emil? Well, Dan, how are you? Okay, there's actual real football to talk about. I mean, <laughs> just preseason against a fourth-tier team that was just promoted to the fourth year from the fifth tier that, yep. yeah, has basically just played in the hills, hidden in the hills of Catalonia for the last 121 years. Now, I'm <laughs> talking about, of course, the Barca versus Olat preseason friendly that ended 1-1 yesterday. Had a five headlines already, but... We want to dig under the hood here. We're going to not even mm-hmm. unpack that game too much, but kind of figure out what that game means in the broader picture of just even the preseason or, or the regular season, if you will. But before we do get to the game, unlike when I spoke to you last and unlike when I even talked to Kevin Williams on Tuesday, all the things that I said were hypothetical are now real. Rafinha yep. is real. And that 72 million euros that I wondered and questioned about being a bit too much, well, it's actually only 58 million fixed fee plus add-ons up to a total of 67 million. That deals till 2027. And mm-hmm. it seems like the wages are going to be right around or just underneath where Ansu and Dembele are, right around in that, in that we'll quote to say, mm-hmm. quote unquote, new winger salary structure, if you will. Mm-hmm. And for Rafinha, again, he arrived it seems to be official and it seems like it will be paid in three installments as well so it's not like it's 58 million uh out the door right now right a fix right now so we'll have to see what happens with the accounting and you know i also noticed emil to this end that when we're talking about this deal 
there was a huge backlash, a backlash, I think more than normal. I think the, there's two very polarizing sides on, on social media and with the discourse that mm-hmm. is Barcelona fans feel like there's an attack by English journalists to question how Barcelona can possibly afford this. And mm-hmm. we've been through this one-to-one, the four-to-one, the first lever, the second lever. And yep. I truly don't think until next week or the week after when we'll say that second lever is pulled or more of the TV rights and a greater percentage of those TV rights are sold off. Are we truly yeah. going to know, you know, what Barca can afford, who they can register? I, I just know that I, I don't think they would have done. I mean, maybe they would have done this deal even if they couldn't afford him, but either he can be registered and they can afford him or they can't. Yeah. I, I think that there's this weird, stupid discourse going on that Barcelona got to close their doors because they agreed to buy Rafinha. That's not the case. It's that no. Barcelona have messed up their accounting. Then Kessier and Christensen and Rafinha will not be playing until January or till the summertime. Very much like I would remind you, Luis Suarez, that was about the transfer ban for the youth players. But mm-hmm. Barcelona have had to have players sit out before. And so if they've smudged their accounting, I think this is again for Kules. You know that the worst case scenario is, yeah, that they haven't done enough financially to register these players. That'll be where the problem is. Because again, even though the club has all this debt, debt, you know that in the short term, between that golden tax loan and the levers that they're pulling, quote unquote, they will be able to actually afford the transfer fees. Uh, it's just a matter of what they do with that long term debt, because, again, that short term debt is going to be rectified. And, and again, for Kool-Aid who are listening to this, that's the whole point here. And it has really nothing to do with Barcelona. Again, closing its doors the way that um, some some English fans might be pontificating. But again, the reverse side is Barcelona is not all good. There still could be very much a problem in registering these players, especially yeah. if other things are not met. So I just want to say that, again, the truth is always somewhere in the middle. It's not one of those two extremes. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think the I think where I fell on this was, you know, yeah, so there's there's the influx of money from the, the financial levers. And I mean, I said it last time, but I will be very happy to be rid of that phrase from my vernacular for a while. Yeah. But yeah, so that I mean, that money's coming in. And yeah, as I understand it, you know, there's there still has to be a greater influx, but they're supposed to sell the other 15%. So it was supposed to be 25% of the TV rights that could be sold. I guess 10 have already been sold. And then because the, was it the BLM and Barca Studios, I guess there wasn't, like there wasn't a taker or it, it wasn't going to generate the kind of cash that they thought. Mm-hmm. So they're going to sell the other 15% of the TV rights. So presumably there is a market for that. The money will come in and, you know, <laughs> Barca will, I mean, it's not even a question of solvency. Like Barca will, you know, bring in that cash, register these players and whatever, every, you know, everyone will wake up tomorrow happy with, with a nice roster of players where I kind of my, I don't even know if it's a gripe. I mean, I suppose it is, is an offshoot of this, which is, it just makes me, and I think we've talked about this in various ways before, but it makes me sort of nervous that you're doing all of these things, all of this, you know, kind of contortioning and, you know, contorting and uh, financial gymnastics to bring in cash to register players and, you know, all that meet all these financial benchmarks. But like the first thing you do is just go on a massive shopping spree. It just reminds me of kind of getting a credit card or, you know, getting like a home equity loan. And, you know, the first thing you do is go buy like a $40,000 watch or something. And like that makes me nervous. Now, look, as we've learned kind of through all of these sort of turbulent, turbulent times, Barca has found a way to keep the doors open, you know, like keep the lights on. So it's not so much the, like a true solvency issue 
as much as it is just a frustration thing with we've just even we on the outside who haven't literally been having to make the difficult decisions and do the belt tightening and whatnot have been hearing all these conversations and we've had to suffer through the you know the lackluster teams in the aftermath of Bartomeu and you know that whole regime and the, the whole thing that was sold was you know difficult decisions nurture the club back to health and everything and it just seems like the short-termism of this is just a little bit kind of unnerving like I, w- I would like it if this money just simply brought health to the balance sheet and made the made the whole operation more sturdy rather than like hey cool check out this winger yeah well we, we keep being told that it's this player this player this player this player and that this whole transfer window is going to be a, a whole rehashing of the entire club of mm-hmm. the salary structure and the squad but that's the worrisome thing about Lewandowski mm-hmm. that you know i talked to kevin williams and we both agreed yeah. and i think people have agreed before that if it's Kunde or Lewandowski, I'd rather take Kunde if there's one more player coming, and that's yeah, it. Hundred times out of hundred, yeah. right, right, right. So center back there. But that Lewandowski story, you know, Kunde, I think is still up in the air as far as what that transfer fee would be, where that is along, and Sevilla's willingness even to to sell him to Barcelona, especially yeah. with Chelsea having grabbed Koulibaly as as well as looking like they're getting uh, Nathan Ake as well. So mm-hmm. with all that other business going on in the background it seems to me that Koundé might be farther off than Lewandowski, especially if his behavior at Bayern Munich practice is real, because <laughs> he really is the one that Barcelona have said, and he said that, that this is pretty much going to happen. It's yeah. just, are Barcelona going to meet Bayern's asking price? Now, the unfortunate part of that, as I said, I would just go after Koundé and then I'll worry about Lewandowski, because again, all those numbers, that being Koundé, Rafinha, Lewandowski, mm-hmm. you're right. Like that's, that's egregious. It's too much. Like you, you create a new problem for yourself just by agreeing to that. I mean, especially with Lewandowski's wages, I think being the biggest issue for me um, yeah. forward, because he's going to ask for a three-year deal and the, it's just going to be too insurmountable. And the way I look at it too, is look at the success that Barcelona had, especially in the second half of the year when they started to click and Dembele mm-hmm. came back. And that's the second part of this here is that Rafinha is surely, regardless of what he is, and you know, you and I, Emil, are going to be breaking him down just now because yeah. I do have somebody from uh, a Leeds contact Coming okay. on the show next week, and that'll be a whole thing about Rafinha, a whole show about breaking him down, like just like we did Cassier, just like I did yep. with and Rafinha is the next one because it's official that I'm going to really discuss and want to talk about uh, exactly what he's going to bring. But what I do know very easily is that no disrespect to Adama Torori, uh, and I would actually even argue Memphis to buy on the wing that Rafinha on that right side is going to be an upgrade, and then you have the ability to pair him with Dembele. That means you have just a sensational. I mean, regardless of what Rafinha is as a top-level player, as a mm-hmm. top-level winger, he is certainly in that, I don't want to say yeah. elite, but he's certainly in that top category as far as wingers in the world right now. And now you have two of those, arguably the best one-two winger punch. Remember, mm-hmm. Antu also plays on the left, or he can play in the middle as well. So you have just this tremendous winger core, and now you're asking Aubameyang and Antu to stay, well, Antu to stay healthy, and you're also asking Rafinha to pe- to. To, to bring in a few goals and you're asking mm-hmm. Memphis, likely Memphis will stick around if, if not for Lewandowski. And I okay. do find enough gold. I'm not going to go through the numbers just yet until the dust settles. But as I do this every year, Emil, you know this mm-hmm. as well. I try to add up. How many goals is this guy going to give you? How many goals mm-hmm. is this guy going to give you? How many goals is this guy going to get you? And if that is enough goals, I think it's usually around 75 to 85. It's in If it's in that range where you can add up, reasonably add up those goals for these players, you can say, okay, that's enough gold. As long as Barcelona don't concede X 
to win some trophies and which trophies can you win? Because Dembele is again, the next part is that. And Dembele in his time at Barcelona, while it seems like some, you know, awful failure as well, I think this renewal, it, it just, it feels right. It makes yeah. sense, especially Dembele under Xavi. I mean, the, the big stat you need to know, this is the only one. I mean, you could say, yeah, he's played only 8,700 minutes in five years, which mm-hmm. is not a lot because think about that. Busquets played over 2,000 just last yeah. year. So for Dembele to play only 8,700 in, in five years, not great. Sure. 32 goals, 33 assists, which is pretty surprising. But yeah. moving forward as an assist player, as a player that's just going to contribute on creating goals in the Barcelona team, even when he was available and people said, oh, he doesn't have a footballing brain. He, every 134 minutes, either scored a goal or Barcelona were scoring a goal because Dembele was either scoring or assisting and being either the goal scorer or the primary assist. Under Xavi, that number is down to every 100 minutes. There's either a Barcelona score from a Dembele goal or Dembele assist and all of those actually being assists. But the point is, if he can have a goal contribution every 100 minutes and even, hey, let's shoot for the moon here every 92 Mm -hmm. minutes. Yeah, <laughs> you're expecting Fati, who I believe is at every 67 minutes in the last year, because again, he doesn't play much. He comes off the yeah. <laughs> So he's making the most of his minutes. But hey, if those guys are doing those numbers, then Barcelona are going to be winning games flatly. So the, the, here's, the, here's the thing. Even Lewandowski, Kunde are still question marks. At this point, I'm over the moon because Rafinha and Dembele, plus what Barcelona already still has for next season, yeah. Packers, they're in really good shape. When you think of great duos, who do you think of? Jordan and Pippen or LeBron and Dwayne Wade. I mean, I talk about basketball a lot here on this podcast, but for the Barcelona version, there's Pique and Puyol or Pique and Mascherano or the easy example of Xavi and Iniesta. And as you can hear from my voice, the perfect teammates aren't just professional athletes. It's cold season. I guess the flu and cold medicine, perfect teammates as well. But in this case, when it comes to growing your business, that's you and Shopify. Shopify is a global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. To be honest, I've been doing this show long enough. And as I mentioned, it's cold and flu season. You hear it in my voice, especially during the holiday season. So whenever it comes to this business, anything that I can set up and kind of have working in the background that I know and can trust is just plugging along without my attention. Those are the things that I really value at this point. So when my brain is foggy, all I can do is manage to turn on the microphone, talk to the guest, or just talk to myself and get out a piece of content. Everything else, having that all automated or working in the background, that's been important to keeping me sane. And that's the thing about something like Shopify. What I do love about Shopify is how no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. So no matter how big or small, how good of a month or how bad of a month, things are just the same working in the background. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is a global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs on every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tbpod, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash tbpod now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash tbpod. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. 
Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I think so, too. Yeah. And I mean, I think, um, you know, when you do run down the list, it's, you know, if Memphis is back, but really it's, you know, you, it's Obama Yang, it's Ansu, it's, you know, you have the wingers and, but you have Ferran Torres, you have, got to think I'm, I'm spacing on another attacker, but I mean, the, the attacking core is kind of robust enough. And I realize there's always the the question marks of health and, you know, particularly as they relate to Ansu, but. And Dembele. And Dembele as well. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, yeah, I've kind of, you know, been quick to sort of push his uh, several years of, of injuries <laughs> to the back of my mind after an, an incredible half season. You, I mean, yeah. Well, Memphis actually everybody only everybody lost everybody. one season really, but uh I mean, all the same. So, I mean, if you get a reasonable amount of health from, from all of those guys, um, you know, I mean, that's a pretty robust and pretty packed attacking core. And I don't know, like, what does it look like when you bring in, you know, Lewandowski, when you bring in a guy who, you know, isn't part of the part of an ensemble cast. I mean, he might be part of an ensemble cast, but he is, you know, one of the first couple of names on the marquee. You know, I mean, not to paint Lewandowski as some sort of like, you know, Cristiano Ronaldo type character, but I mean, I don't, he's not going to come here to be part of like a, a group of five who, who play up front. Like he's, oh, he's gonna, the guy. He's gonna, and it, like, I don't know what that does to the, to the attacking core. And some of this, the relentless pursuit of Lewandowski, now clearly he wants to, to be here as well. It smacks a little bit of the, what was a year, year and a half pursuit of, and I'm really sorry to say this of uh, Philippe Coutinho, where the the first summer like Liverpool wouldn't sell him despite Barca making every effort to just like lob cash at them, and then you know so sort of like Liverpool saved Barto and friends from themselves, and then but like undeterred they managed to you know stuff 140 million pounds into into Liverpool's accounts and and get their man, and so it's like. I feel like there's a little bit of loss of context. I feel like it's just become this battle of, of pride and ego. You know, it's, we've spoken publicly about how we're going to bring Lewandowski here and whether or not our team actually needs it, like, damn it, we're bringing Lewandowski in, you know? And not that he won't be a great player for at least the first couple of years, but at this point, I don't know if it's an, just an absolute necessity. Like, why not, you know, and, and I understand Lewandowski, you know, he will find suitors and he will probably end up playing somewhere else if you try to punt this down a year. But, you know, if there's any chance that, 
he's willing to play out his contract to Bayern and come here for free. And where you're like, you know, we can actually give you more wages if you're willing to just play one more year at Bayern Munich because we don't have to shell out 50 million for you. Yeah. That would actually work out well for everyone. I mean, I guess, except Lewandowski to a certain extent. But yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's like, you know, in a vacuum, he's great. But I don't know what all of this sort of says about how this team is being built and how this regime wants to wants to view team building going forward. Well, I think that's the worry with Lewandowski that you know, I've said before, I mean, his 34 and even a three-year deal, his 37 might be different than many other players' 37. Yeah. Sure. However, by kicking this down the road, even one season, now he's 35 and he's still going to probably ask for a three-year deal. So that takes him to 38. And now you're really starting to question some of those, the, the age plus what his, that productivity yeah. cliff that he's going to have, that he's probably going to just careen off at some point. Obviously that does, Father time waits for no one. So in the the case of Lewandowski, you feel like it's now or never. And because of the age, because of his situation at Bayern Munich, that it's going to have to be forced through. But all right. So that's enough on Lewandowski. On the other side of things, we're going to the the other edge of the age spectrum, if you will, to a 19-year-old that is now Mm -hmm. in Barca's, well, they say Barcelona Athletic, but I watched that a lot preseason friendly. Mm -hmm. And the only hot take I had was the one that I expected to have after watching Mm -hmm. him some with Racing Santander. And that is that Pablo Torre will be around the first team in some capacity this Mm -hmm. season. I think that, of course, he'll be playing with Rafa Marquez, I think, for a bit before the first team figures out exactly what the rotations are and anything like that. But I know people said, you know, again, this is going to the extremes. Now people are like, oh, is he going to overtake Gabi? Or, of course, he's going to take the starting spot from Frankie de Young. More on that in a second. But no, Pablo Torre is going to get minutes because he deserves minutes. Uh, it's one of those very, very comfortable, like, oh, what's the drop-off when you would have put... I, I've been smearing him this week, and I really feel bad about Ricky Puj, but what's the drop-off <laughs> when you put Puj into the game? Well, now you have an example of a player that, unlike Puj, who couldn't be registered with the B team anymore uh, last season... He's going to be registered with the B team, likely, and he's going to be called up to the first team for uh, for X number of games that he's allowed to play in. I believe the number is, I think it's 10 before you have to register him with the first team I by so. January. So he'll make his appearances, likely playing with the B team, and we could see him. I'm not sure if the Copa del Rey matches even count against that number. I think they do. So whatever it may be, they're going to figure this out. And and for all intents and purposes, somebody, maybe Frankie DeYoung, but somebody will likely have gotten hurt or you have questions come January. So I think mm-hmm. by January, you might even see him get registered for the first team because, you know, again, God forbid, Pedri goes down for any more amount of time or anything yeah. like that, right? Or any, any other player. You never know. So you have this player ready to go, you know, busting through the door. Because what I really liked about him, even in the preseason friendly, I saw the same thing in racing, racing Santander. What is he going to look like when the competition is higher? I'm not sure I'm too worried about that because the things that were good about Pablo Torre were good as him as an individual. What I mean by that, same thing with Frank Cassier. Cassier looked like a, a man amongst boys, not just physically, I just mean with the ball. They're one-touch yeah. passing, they're spacing. With Pablo Torre, he could get out on the left wing, was combining well with Abde, and it wasn't even their moves. It wasn't even creating a goal-scoring opportunity. That pass up to Aubameyang through the middle in the first 10 minutes, mm. it, it, you know, it was fine, but he was also tasked to take the set pieces, which regardless of where he fits on the pecking order, the fact that Xavi chose him to take those set pieces in the yeah. game does say a lot. And so it was, again, his his decision-making, his first time passing, those were the things that are applicable no matter what, right? Like a player that is going to just play the first-time ball immediately is going to play that first-time ball whether they're playing against Liverpool or whether they're playing against Olat. And it's the same thing with a player that's going to have to take that extra touch or have to, you know, it's one thing to dribble in space or dribble around these kind of 
fourth tier players. That's one yeah. thing. Again. So no disrespect to Abde. I don't know. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to really take or extrapolate anything from Abde's performance, right? If that makes <laughs> any sense, right? Because he's he's playing against competition like a lot last season, and I expect him to be able to use his moves and dribble around those guys. But yeah. again, Palatori, Frank Kessia, I was really, really, I'm going to say over the moon, but very optimistic about mm -hmm. how seamlessly they seem to fit into Xavi's system, regardless of the end results and regardless of their opposition. Yeah, I mean, so <clears throat> this is where, you know, I kind of mentioned, I caught up on this game through whatever highlights I could find. I didn't actually see the entirety of the game. But what I did see in the highlights is a lot of what you're touching on. I mean, it's, though it lacked a little bit of context, the passing that you're talking about and the 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 single touches and the decisiveness, it seems innate with him. So kind of regardless of level, I mean, of course, there are going to be, you know, growing pains at various points as you, yeah. you know, he's only 19 and he's likely to be stepping up in class to some extent this season. And then, you know, assuming a reasonable amount of progress, probably a lot more next season. But I think the, it's kind of when you see traits, it's sort of, yeah, like it's scouting traits versus, versus production or, you know, the, the evidence is there that, yeah, like the, the comfort on when I say comfort on the ball, but comfort kind of get the ball, give the ball, the the whole you know the, the old Guardiola thing. Like he that that seems to have been sort of seared into his brain to to a proper extent. And and I, I do think it's interesting. I, I didn't know so much the the set pieces thing, but when you said that about uh, Chabi giving him the the set pieces to take, you know, I mean, on the one hand, it can be easy to read sort of too much into it, you know, but on the other hand, like. Chavi's been around this club. He's been around what this is and how kind of gestures and small sort of things are immediately kind of placed under a micro, you know, a magnifying glass and, and overanalyzed. And yeah, I mean, by giving, by giving this kid the, the set pieces, I mean, he's kind of, he is saying that I, you know, I see something in this kid. Like he, it's, it's at least a small kind of gold star from, from the teacher. And you know, it's something worth taking note of. I mean, I don't know if we can, it's something, you know, you don't want to put too much, too much stock in it, but at the same time, it's, it's something, it's a positive indicator. Well, in the third part in that first half of that midfield trio was Nico Gonzalez playing as the mm -hmm. pivot. And that was something that we heard rumors about. And so I think what is clear in that decision is that Xavi wants to give him the opportunity to audition for the backup pivot role, because mm -hmm. if Nico Gonzalez is a future pivot at Barcelona in a four, three, three, what that opens up for you, that opens up mm -hmm. a, in the future, you might not consider chaining to a 3-4-3. Three, three. If that, in the future, that means mm -hmm. that you don't have to be splashing 75 million on some kind of backup for Busquets. You might even bring in a player for competition for him. Mm -hmm. it, there's, there's so many future hypotheticals that get answered very easily by Nico. And one 45-minute preseason friendly, I know he's played pivot occasionally before, but not really for the first team. So I, there's really nothing I can say from that, right? He misplayed a ball in yeah. the 30th minute. I, that was really what his only, we'll say, quote-unquote, mistake on the ball. He also, I, I thought defensively, he wasn't really where he needed to be when he was on the counterattack. It, it's not that he was slow. It's just like his positioning was a bit a, a step behind. To me, it actually looked like he very reasonably was in preseason form, as in like yeah. physically he wasn't there yet. I know he's in his early 20s. I know he's really young. 
but he looks like he was regaining his fitness, which again, it seemed like most players were regaining their fitness. Yeah. So I wasn't too worried about that. I mean, he was barely under any pressure from Olat either. So, I mean, I, I don't really know if I learned anything, but what I did like very much like Kessier and Pablo Torre was his decision-making. He was clearly making the right choices and making them quickly. And that's what I did appreciate about Nico's 45 minute performance. And uh, he was the one of any other player in that game that I circled and said, I want to see that more in mm. preseason. I want to see more of that. And I know Xavi does as well, because that could, again, dictate even whether or not he goes out on loan this season, because mm. if he's going to need more minutes, right? Are we going to reevaluate in January or is he going to immediately carve out the backup position for Busquets? And then Busquets, again, who played 50 games last season, most on the team, right? Yeah. He's be able to rotate him a bit more and not even rotate him. Like last season, Nico was pretty much a super sub. But now if he's a super sub coming in for Busquets yeah. on more than, again, 15 to 20 occasions, that's going to put you in a much better spot because we do expect, again, some more physical regression from him. And what that means, that being Pablo Torre, Frank Kessier, and Diego Gonzalez. This is really interesting because, again, you had some, some, some capital I idiots out there questioning whether or not, oh, that means that Frankie De Jong is being pushed out. Not necessarily. But my question for De Jong, it's a difficult one, is that if Frankie De Jong, right, if we're seeing Pablo Torre, not say Pablo Torre is better than Frankie De Jong, of course, Frankie De Jong starting 100 out of 100 times over a 19-year-old Torre. And Kessier, it's a little more complicated because there are two players in their prime. And Kessier seems like he might be able to do something. Again, it's only against Olat in a preseason friendly, so you can't extrapolate too much of anything. We've seen Frankie Young do it against so many other players. But is there a world, is there a possibility between Pedri and Gabi and uh, even Kessier that Frankie Young's skill set doesn't actually fit at the top of the ledger what Xavi needs to do? Because again, I want to remind people that if he does not, it seems like Manchester United, it's not even seems like, it's been reported. Manchester United have reached a full agreement with Barcelona for Frankie de Jong, a package worth 85 million euros. Fee was guaranteed around 75 million plus add-ons. The only person that does not agree to this, Barcelona and Manchester United are saying, all right, fine. Even though his wages are going way up, he's going to be the highest paid player on Barcelona next season as he would be the highest paid on Manchester United next season. Yet both clubs have said, okay, we'll do this deal. Frankie de Jong wants to be at Barcelona. I was overjoyed when he chose Barcelona over PSG. He's a player that I wanted to be at Barcelona, and he wants to succeed at Barcelona. And the real problem comes is that that is a player, he's going to be paid as a player who cannot lose his spot. He cannot lose his spot, mm -hmm. paid what he's paid. That means you have to play him. And there is this world where, as we saw last season, Maybe he isn't the pick. Maybe he isn't the best option for Xavi's system. While he is an elite, world-class player that is going to yeah. thrive somewhere else. And that is a really difficult pill to swallow because, again, he dreamed of Barcelona and we dreamed of him playing at Barcelona. And it's just, this, it's just, it's uncomfortable and weird. And I, I guess the question, Emil, is, is it possible that he loses his spot? Is it possible? Because no, it seems like the number says absolutely not. So, I mean, I, yeah, I, I don't think... So the short answer to does he lose his spot? Initially, I would say no. I mean, I think for, for the variety of reasons you said, some of them financial, some of them, I don't know. I mean, even kind of tied to, you know, some of them, I guess, almost like even like pride based, you know, where Chavi wants to, because I do get the sense that Chavi wants to work with this guy and get, kind of yeah. unlock this magic from, you know, within him. And then you have the club just going, you know, the, from the admin side, and I know it wasn't even, you know, necessarily this regime that brought him in, but you don't want the guy that you paid, you know, mega bucks transfer that you brought in who was supposed to be 
some heir apparent to Croy for whatever. And, um, you know, you don't want to kind of wash your hands of him and kind of walk away from that, you know, in, in such a way. So I do feel like, I feel like from everyone's perspective, there's at least a motivation to give it a chance to give it sort of a, a real college try for this to work. Mm-hmm. I mean, De Young obviously wants it to work. Chavi would love it to work, you know, and uh, that being said, I mean, the, the midfield is very crowded down and this is one of the things that can sometimes be irritating with situations like this. So also, I mean, how long can you really dedicate to seeing if it's working? And this is all, aside from the fact that he might be in Manchester in, you know, in a week's time. But if we assume that somehow, you know, he, his kind of force of will overcomes the, the deal that's already been struck by the two teams, I think he gets a chance. I think he, some of it, like you said, it is financial. I mean, he, they paid a lot to bring him here. They're paying a lot to keep him here. And so you ideally want that to pay off. I mean, he's not at the sort of, he's not a player who you kind of put in the unfortunate sunk cost category, but he's a very expensive player that you would like to have work out. But if it turns out he's not right for Chavi's system, then I feel like it could get very awkward. Well, I think too, where we'll say the moving parts here, if he doesn't leave, I don't see how Barcelona have a path forward to afford Kunde. Which to me means right. that if Xavi does still want to switch to a 3-4-3, which again, Ola preseason friendly, he's, they've been a few days in training, so he's going to go with the system, the 4-3-3 mm. that the players, especially the ones from the academy, know mm. well. Right? He's not going to switch it up on a bunch of academy kids that we'll talk about in a second. Mm. He's going to go with that system. But if he does plan on moving to a 3-4-3 this season, again, with Frankie de Young, if he refused to go, meaning you don't have Koundé, yeah. I, I honestly think that you might see him experiment with the young back at a center back spot because mm-hmm. it just makes sense with him in a three at the back and where he may not be shining as the pivot for Busquets. That may not be his role, but in yeah. that, that three, four, three, you still have one of those pivots. And I know they'd say, Oh, then he becomes a double pivot back there, but I'm not necessarily so sure about that. I, I don't know exactly what they would do, right? Is it Nico and Kessier who would be your double pivots or Busquets and Kessier are your double pivots. And then you have, or, or Busquets and Nico who knows, right. And then you have your three at the back and some combination of mm-hmm. Araujo and then fill in the other two with Frankie de Young. So is it PK? Is it Christensen? Is it yeah. Eric Garcia? Right. I mean, cause ideally there you're talking, it's probably Christensen because PK yeah. may not ever be healthy and Eric Garcia does get to be the rotation piece that he probably is. Also, the rotation piece that I said I, I said on Tuesday that he's being paid as, right? And that's what he he be become. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So that would actually be a good scenario. I mean, yeah. So I, I just I want to keep our minds open to I want to almost close our minds to the idea of Frankie Young being gone. Like I'm really not sure. Like with these clubs pushing him as hard as they are, is there some point where he agrees to it? But I mean, again, Barcelona's only path forward financially is is selling him. I mean, right? I had said from the start that. This was financial, and I'm talking myself into how it can be sporting. But again, it's still the Frankie de Young business still winds up being financial. So, all right, that's enough for Frankie de Young. Now it's time to talk about the young players before we head out of here. And as far as those young players go, I mean, I'm not really sure which ones jumped out to me. But what I do know is that Xavi was either one or the other, either saying, hey, you're good enough and you deserve to make your first team debut here in this preseason friendly, just for even for for bodies, for numbers, right? We want to do mm-hmm. a full 11 V, uh, well, 11, 11, but it, they didn't even change at halftime. There was one exception. But I, I wondered if you told these kids, hey, if you want to play, I need you to play where even you're uncomfortable. I want to get you on the field. So Mark um, Casado, which took me three years to say it wrong. And now I, I wasn't appreciating that the accent on the O. 
it's casado instead of casado. And I was saying it wrong all this time. So now taking into account the accent on the O, instead of playing the pivot, though, casado was playing as the right back because Pjanic, uh, who is, again, too expensive to get rid of. He, I don't know how, if we think the young is a problem and his spot is secure. Yeah. And again, look what Pjanic makes and how hard it's going to be to get him off the books. But just thinking that Xavi is going to say, hey, young. There's still so many ghosts of transfer past, you know? <laughs> right. And a reminder that it's going to be, this was a three-year, if anything, a three-squad yeah. rebuild, if you will. Yeah. And we're, we're still in season two of that. So there's still mm-hmm. pretty much one more summer or an additional yeah. summer after this, because again, it's Busquets, it's Alba, uh, not Alba next year, but uh, Busquets next year. Alba can be complicated next year. So anyway, yeah, Pjanic right. is it's just sitting there. And so he's going to be given the opportunity to, there, there are huge quotes around this. He's <laughs> given the opportunity to uh, impress Xavi, almost because Barca might be stuck with this albatross of a number, meaning they won't be able to bring in or register other players. So Pjanic will just have to be around. And so Casado goes back to the right back spot and he did just fine there. But it's almost a reminder that, hey, very much like you are more like a Sergio Roberto in the future. I don't think you're a future Busquets, but if you're going to be in the first team, then you're going to have to keep improving and you're going to have to do the Sergio Roberto thing and play where I need you to go. Uh, And then he even played center back, by the way, when Arnau Casas played rather well, uh, exited the center back. And so Casado played two positions and neither of which are his regular position. And even on that left side, we saw Alex Valle, who played as a left back in the first half, moved to the left wing in the second half. And which is tidy, played within himself, had a pretty mm-hmm. good first debut. He's a few months younger. At, they're both 18, but he's a few months younger than Balde. And he showed me yesterday that he has an argument to, again, just be a solid player who could take overtake Balde, especially with Jorge Mendez in Balde's ear, yeah. as the guy knocking on the first team door. So I don't know what happened with Balde. He might go on loan in January, even from the B uh, Barcelona Athletic. He, mm-hmm. I think Balde will likely be registered again with the second team. So, yeah, we'll have to see what Balde's future is. But Valle showed that, hey, I mean, if you need another young player to be brought up and at least sit on the bench as Jordi Alba plays 90 minutes every game, uh, I could be that guy for you. Then finally, of that bunch, Fabio Blanco came on for the final 15 minutes and very much like Casado when he moved over to center back, Blanco, who is just a winger, came from Eintracht Frankfurt, but originally a a young Spanish player from Valencia, I believe. He had to play right back. So once again, Xavier was like, hey, I, I know you're young, but basically that entire back line yesterday averaged 18 or 19 years old because Chadi Riyad also came in in the second half as well. Yeah. Marmol was usually really tidy and actually the oldest of that whole bunch was the one who committed the mistake. And then in the yep. first half, again, Sergino Des is also the veteran on that back line. Um, but yeah, in the case of, of Blanco, just you're usually a winger, but I need you to be a right back. And that is because of the audition that was happening before, right? You know, Blanco is yeah. going to be a Barcelona athletic. There's nothing really for him to prove. Mm-hmm. Rafa Marquez is there to see it. Blanco is going to be one of the main protagonists for that B team uh, on the wing. But in front of him, the right winger, Alex Callado. I'm not sure about that mixed result, but I do know that he had a contract to be extended until June of 2024. Not yet signed, but he'll get an additional season on that deal. And I, I it seems like he's going to play the wing, especially with what we saw the Pablo Torre. Alex Callado, his only path forward in this first team is going to be on the right wing. Yeah, like um, I, I agree broadly with with a lot of what you said. So again, I apologize for not having a you know kind of a trove of uh, of viewing experience of yesterday's game specifically. But based That's on what I read, it's, it's okay. Most of those players are going to be sent down. I, I, I assume half of them are coming to the U.S. 
Again, I'm not sure which ones, but I don't know if all of them are even going to make the trip for the rest of the preseason. So they, it really could have been 45 minutes, one and done, and we won't see them again until maybe the Copa del Rey bench, right? So it's like, I'm not going to go yeah. crazy about those players, but I mean, you know me, I, I really care about what's who oh, for sure. But this is my thing. Well, and I think like uh, you and I talked about this, I think the last time uh, we did this together was we were speaking about all of the young guys and, you know, this was also just a bit in the context of Rafa Marquez coming in as the, you know, the Barca B coach and, and just kind of saying that, yeah, there's going to be some selection of the the young players or, you know, B team players that are taken to, you know, taken on the U S tour, but there also is going to be significant, significant value in you know, the, the guys that are left behind actually just really hitting the ground running in as far as, you know, getting to know Rafa and getting, you know, getting to training, understanding what it is he's trying to do. And, you know, because we talked about, I mean, uh, Marquez has, you know, really no previous coaching experience. So we don't even know exactly what his philosophy is and, you know, what it is he's going to try to do. And so the young players that are going to be staffed with executing that, you know, more time to actually study with him and kind of and just practice and get to know him and get to know his mannerisms and just everything is probably a good thing. So, oh, my big question for him is like the all the way up through these players are playing a four three three up through the system in La Masia. But if Xavi chooses to try to switch to a three four three, does that indicate that Rafa might have to adapt as well? But I think by and large, the team that he's going to be receiving these nineteens. Mm-hmm. They're going to probably, t- to succeed at all, are going to have to play in a 4-3-3, which means now to be in the first team, uh, be in the first team picture, they're going to have to, the, they're basically going to have to be comfortable with the change of system, which is going to be interesting to me. If yeah. that happens. If that happens. But again, I, I still would, I'd still put money on him playing a fourth, that being Xavi playing a 4-3-3 this year. My, my assumption is that he will do that as well. I mean, I don't, because it would be such a big philosophical shift. I mean, especially, you know, particularly now that we're, we're talking about so many of these guys who have graduated from, you know, the, from varsity or, you know, like the La Masia grads and, you know, the guys who are there now who might be knocking on the door or, you know, actually going through the door this year at various points. Uh, so much of the squad now is shifting towards some version or another, at least of, I mean, I want to say homegrown. I mean, there's still, you know, obviously there's still plenty of, you know, imported, imported talent on the team, but so much of the, like the core of the team is homegrown and sort of that, you know, the instilled with that, that Barca hive mind and the, the Barca DNA thing that I don't know that he could actually just sort of turn on a dime like this and completely overhaul it. I mean, yeah. I, I think there would have to be a little bit of time to instill some of the, I don't know, like, I guess the tactical versatility within the players and kind of understand where guys fit in a three, you know, in a three, four, three, based on what they've done based on what their kind of what their aptitudes are and where they've thrived in a, in a four, three, three in the past. Well, yeah. I mean, even the players from 20 to 25, most of them, yeah. again, Pjanic might be around at B player number 25, but mm-hmm. on the rest of that peripheral, again, Alex Callado, he went to Granada mm-hmm. was playing in different system as mm-hmm. well. Sergio Roberto has played in different systems. They, they are uh, La Masia players, but they have, been around mm-hmm. for a little bit of time again. Kayato is 24 years old. He's not a spring chicken anymore. Mm-hmm. And Roberto again is, is, is already 30, but even the backup goalkeeper situation, right? That Neto is being paid, paid too much to leave. 
He's being paid enough to be, he's just going to sit there and be a third goalkeeper. What's the difference between being a second goalkeeper or a third goalkeeper and making more money? I don't think it matters much to Neto, to be honest with you. But Inaki Pena, to speak of the the future of the bench being academy built, because that's what it is, right? It's not, it's one thing to have your starters, sure. It's one thing to have Mm -hmm. uh, on the the Ballon d'Or voting, all that stuff. But it's another thing to just have a quality, deep squad built through your academy because your bench is built by the academy. Yes, and that's like yeah. the other major part of this. And so Inaki Pena, he bailed them out late yesterday. And what I saw from him at Galatasaray, again, against Barcelona, mm-hmm. which I can't say I watched so many of his other matches. I watched the highlight mm-hmm. package, but right. Inaki Pena has made, has taken a step forward to be the backup goalkeeper. And that's mm-hmm. just fine. You know, it's still to a second going to play 90% of all minutes or more mm-hmm. than that. And so Inaki Pena, just he's there for rotation. He's there in case of emergency. And even if he had to carry the team for three weeks or four weeks through an injury to Ter Stegen, I believe Inaki Pena mm-hmm. could easily do that. And that means that Neto, I mean, unlike Frankie the Young spot, Neto, your spot is gone. It's it's done. It's it's over because Inaki Pena yeah. is going to be even better than you. And that's it. So, all right. Last thing before we go, uh, Emil, is that mm-hmm. again, not much to extrapolate with this, but also you can. We did the Lewandowski thing before, and that would all mm-hmm. change, of course, if he arrives. But out of necessity, Aubameyang played in the first half at 32 years old. We know he's also not going to play 90 minutes. He's occasionally going to play 90 minutes, probably one out of every three games. Sure. And Ansu was the only player who you could think of to play through the middle at that point. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think of everyone who played in that game, Elasha Komash had played as the false nine for the U15s, I believe, <laughs> the U16s of Spain. And so as I was like, kind of trying like the closest to a striker that there was <laughs> exactly right and so now you're merely going okay then again if if Lewandowski is arriving then how many games is Memphis going to give you or how often is Memphis going to come off the bench mm-hmm. to be the nine and also as we saw last year Memphis is not you're not getting the best out of Memphis and Xavi system on mm-hmm. in the middle you need him on the left and so that leaves Ferran Torres as a striker, which once more, he was not where Xavi ultimately wanted to put him. And you did not get the best out of him in the middle either. But as I keep arguing, I think in the long run, Ferran Torres' progress, if he can progress in the right way under Xavi, is through the middle. So mm-hmm. you hope that it is Aubameyang and Ferran Torres are the nines. Fatih is yeah. either on the left wing or through the middle, regardless of what you yeah. need. But we also know with his injury history and where I think Xavi wants to play him on the field, it is up through the middle. So it yeah. was interesting to see him there. And I think that the idea that, oh, is onto a left winger, is onto a center forward. I think we kind of have to get rid of that idea and say, mm-hmm. we're going to see a lot of either. It's going to be situational. It's going to be based on availability. It's going to be based on his availability and how yeah. good he feels even per day. We might not even know, you know, based on a lineup, whether he's going to be on the left wing or because, again, if you have a starting lineup of Ferran Torres, onto Fati and Dembele or, or mm-hmm. Rafinha or whatever, we know that one of them is on the right wing. And then yeah. we aren't really sure where everybody else is, again, depending on a lot of situations. So I'm not going to read too much in, into it. But the other, the only thing I will say, though, is it was what, like the 14th game ever between Ansu and Pedri playing in those in that in those 45 minutes together. Yeah, and I think so. Ansu, yeah. And Ansu's got the captain's armband. <laughs> so it's like it, it's, it's just that's that's a preseason for you. But also that's Ansu yeah. and Pedri never playing together for you. No, that's what's actually, that's what's so wild. I mean, so if you take the sort of and, you know, I, I, I mean this with all affection. I mean, so if you take the old guys out of it, you know, the Jordi Alba, PK, Busquets, even like, you know, Ter Stegen and whatever, you know, so and much. And Pjanic. Oh, Pjanic. Yeah. The, the story <laughs> Barcelona man, <laughs> Marilyn Pjanic. Uh, but like so much of when we envision the scene, when we kind of, you know, 
there's the the foundational pieces are Ansufati and Pedri. On the one hand, it also it feels like they've both been around kind of longer than they have. And also, I mean, yeah, that that thing that you said the the fourteenth time fourteenth time they've, they've ever played together. It's crazy because it feels like they are both kind of foundational pieces. It feels like they've had more interplay together, but they haven't. They've sort of just been these. I don't know, singular kind of solitary characters who've been kind of building this, building up their own mm-hmm. piece as a cornerstone of the of the club, but haven't actually had the opportunity to link up and do it. And I mean, you know, we've talked about it, and it's probably the the single most obvious thing to say about Barcelona, and the most kind of potentially feel good thing is that just the opportunity to see that, you know, and just see those two. Week in, week out, you know what I mean, and no, none of the none of the baggage of a managerial change, and you know, like Messi having left, or the year before Messi having asked to leave, or whatever it was. Just this of of all the sort of the the gripes and the you know headaches that still kind of exist, or you know, financially or just whatever vibes wise with this team. Uh, the the one thing that there's just so much we haven't actually seen these two play together a lot. We've seen them play a fair amount individually, but the, the notion that we're finally going to get these two, I mean, it's, it's massively, massively exciting. Yeah. Another writer that as exciting as Gabi was, I mm-hmm. talked about Nico, mm-hmm. Pablo Torre, the mm-hmm. Des, whatever you want to say, mm-hmm. uh, Rafinha and Dembele actually as well. Yeah. This team can win trophies through Ansu, Pedri, Araujo, and you maybe be able to argue Ter Stegen based on circumstance. But really, it's Ansu, it's Pedri, it's Araujo. How far? I know three players doesn't make a team, but with enough talent and depth around those three players, they're the ones that can take you forward, especially next season, even with Alba and Busquets doing their thing. Because again, you have a good idea what Busquets and Alba are going to give you. And if Ansu and Pedri give you the top of what they're capable of giving you, right? And mm-hmm. not to say that we're shooting to the moon and they're going to be two of No, they give you top, top quartile production of what they're kind of... The, able if of. they give you above 75% of what their kind of potential is. Right. Like and that's, that Those are two huge, good players. Yeah, and mm-hmm. you take that huge step into... Yeah. We're not even... I mean, they're already stars, but if they're, if they're flirting with superstardom, Yes. And the numbers are backing that up. That means the wins are going to be backing up. That means the quality is going to be backing that up. And that's how far they can take you. And the last thing I want to say before we go is I was doing a lot of besmirching of Pjanic's name. Pjanic has been a good professional for a long, long time, going back to his time at Roma and, mm-hmm. and moving forward for Juventus. Like, so I'm not trying to besmirch his name. Uh, mm-hmm. He chose to come to Barcelona, but not even really. He was swapping no. with Arthur. He was an accounting issue that yeah. Bartomeu used to, to get himself probably out of jail. Honestly, that was the swap. Yeah. That probably that, that it was pure financial, financial engineering. And right. Well, even like survival. I'm not even yeah. saying like to, for Barca's purposes, I'm saying for his own personal yeah. purposes, I think that even potentially saved him a mm-hmm. longer jail sentence if he ever does get one. So yeah. uh, beyond its deal, again, that is solely on Bartomeu. That is why I'm, I'm rolling my eyes and it's tough because Pianis makes so much money. Again, we've gone through this before. There's yeah. no reason for him to leave, but he even did choose to go on loan last year and he didn't have to. He's yeah. the one, he's one of the ones who could have sat in the stands and he didn't, he still chose to play out his career and went on loan. So yeah. while it sounds like I'm being really harsh on Pjanic, he certainly is the black sheep right now in terms of what he makes and what he means to the team. He, it makes no sense, right? It makes no sense for him to be around. He's 
he's not even part of, again, the older generation are all Catalans and they're all the old Barca guys. Mm -hmm. How are we going to get rid of these legends? But Pjanic yeah. is not ever going to be up on the board I have behind me with the these names of legends. Like, that's not that's not the case. But he definitely had a great career everywhere else, and he still probably has enough left in the tank to be useful to a pretty top-level team. But again, he had to go to Turkey last year just to kind of prove to people what he still had. I'm not sure he even did that there. So he's, is he going to convince Xavi? Absolutely not. They're just, I mean, you have to go with Nico Gonzalez and see what you have with him for the next 10 years as opposed to just giving Pjanic minutes. It's like, it's not... The diminishing returns of playing Pjanic over Nico is absolutely never going to be worth it. So again, I'm not trying to to yeah. to, to really take it hard to Pjanic. That is all on Bartomeu that he even exists as a Barca player. If yeah. he chose to come when he was 25, 26, 27, we'd be talking about him like we talk about even Rakitic. But unfortunately, that didn't happen. His career played out. Yeah. So that's it. That's my whole thing about Pjanic. So like, so I, I'm not trying to really be harsh on. Yeah, we'd like to actually piggyback on that. Yeah, I mean, none of this is actually personally against uh Marilyn Pjanic like you, you know whether we laugh or whatever I mean because even the there's not even sort of a an upset at him within me because I think it was also when that deal happened it was just so nakedly financial gymnastics and yeah. nothing else and so I mean it, it, it would feel almost it would feel kind of crazy to be overly upset about something that never really seemed like it was meant as a sporting transaction. Sure. And like you said, I mean, Piano, has been a good player and he's, you know, he's played well, he's played well for big teams and, you know, like he's a quality professional and yeah, I, I, I don't mean to sort of disrespect his name. It's just more so he's, and now he's kind of the, the head of the, he's at the top of the totem pole of the, I don't know what, like sort of, like, like I said, I guess the ghost of transfers past. Yeah, I mean, his financial existence makes other deals that include the team harder. And almost yeah. impossible. So that's part of the issue. So uh, again, forcing for Pianic, Frankie De Young is going to be the poster boy on the internet for that because he's choosing not to leave and obviously doesn't want to leave. And also he's worth something on the market. That is why De Young is being in the conversation. And Wait, yeah, exactly. Right? Like if Pianic was going to, was if they could sell him for 65 million euros, they would have, I mean, they would, they would do everything they possibly could, right? They would, you know, they would do everything. I mean, someone could. offered them 5 million euros and said that they'd pay all of his wages. I'm pretty sure that they, yeah. you know, just they give him a piggyback ride to the airport. Correct. You're right. They're, they're, yeah. they're going to drag him. By his yeah. Everybody who sells agreed to the deal. But anyway, all right. Exactly. So that'll wrap up another edition of the show. Again, next week, we're going to do Rafinha. There is more preseason to go to extrapolate and make overdrawn conclusions from. <laughs> but either way, follow Emil on Twitter down in the show notes below. We are also on Twitter and Instagram at the Barcelona pod Patreon. That's where I have, I'm going to be putting up those five headlines. Yeah, there, but I also put them obviously on YouTube, but Patreon is another way to find them as well as these shows without the ads. And Patreon is also how we keep making these shows. Remember we have merch. I want to keep reminding everybody. I keep putting off really doing a good job publicizing the merch. I haven't done it yet, but someday we'll have a big splash. It'll be a big, I don't know if we're going to do like a, a, can we do a calendar? I don't, I don't know. I'm just, I'm hyped. Look, I'm, I'm, I'm going to say like everyone just go buy one of the soft t-shirts. I'm not wearing that one today, yeah. but it's, it's really, really good. And you know, next time I'm on, I will wear that and model it again, but <laughs> I, I can't recommend it enough. It's uh yeah, yeah I, it, I gotta it fits great I, and it's nice and soft. It, it's good stuff. I know. I just got a haircut. I got, I got to figure <laughs> out, like I got to, they got a way to look at all uh, 
to make it all look presentable. But either way, uh, that's the merch store just down in the show notes below as well. And then I said, we're on YouTube where there is some summer content that I've done, but moving forward, I'll have my grades for the summer window when it's all over. And there's other stuff, fun stuff going on YouTube. So most importantly though, thanks so much for listening to the Barcelona podcast. Until next time, we'll talk to you soon. Before it's a Barca. Forza Barca. Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945.